Hey there, I'm Scott, and this is Tangents. Well, I have a pretty tight window this morning. I'm trying to squeeze this in uh, very quickly. It is the 22nd of July, 2020. Not that that necessarily matters uh, here. I'm not going to, I'm going to avoid talking about politics other than, uh, at least for today, other than to say that, uh, I guess this will kind of weave into what I'm talking or what I'm interested in talking about today, which is I have taken a certain path through life, which has worked in some sense. I mean, I am where I am. I'm kind of doing what I want to do. I don't really have a boss. Um, I can get on Twitter and, uh, you know, tell people to go fuck themselves. And I'm in a position where, you know, like I'm not completely secure. I'm definitely not financially independent, but, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not in a place where I have to worry about, oh shit, if I do that, it, what are the consequences going to be? Which is not to say that there can't be any consequences by any means. But I'm, you know, relatively independent in that way. Uh, I, I still, obviously, am subject to um, needing money and all of the constraints that we all face. But at the same time, you know, I've kind of eked out at least a little sliver for myself of something that uh, is pretty different from, I think, what most people end up with. And there are, there are pluses and minuses. So I, a lot of people, I, I see people talk about, you know, like being an entrepreneur and, uh, you know, kind of saying, oh, that's a, everybody should aspire to be. Bullshit, bullfucking shit. It's, it's actually, I think, a disease of our society, that which is not to say there's anything wrong with being an entrepreneur, but it's a disease of our society that people feel this constant desire just to try to hustle and make money. Yeah, which is obviously it's good to add value. It's good to make something. It's good to do something where you feel like whatever you're doing matters and is important and hopefully is you know has some value, has some purpose to it. Uh, not necessarily like a giant grand purpose, but to you personally, you feel fulfillment. You feel like I'm doing something which is satisfying. I'm doing something which if I didn't do it, you know, it might not be life or death, but if I didn't do it, things would be worse than they are for me doing it. Uh, I think that's kind of I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's just such a distorted, fucking twisted world that we have where, uh, and, and this is one of those things I get, this is part of where the politics touches a little bit, that this neoliberal consensus, which basically is where the conservatives and even the uh, left-ish, I don't want to call them left, the Democrats really, again, center-right, uh, Maybe not the, if you actually poll the members of the party, like the people by and large, they're further left, but the way the, the party governs, sure as fuck, center right. Um, so, you know, you look at that and all of these people have this idea that, you know, uh, like the Grover Norquest thing, that government is intrinsically bad, that taxes are intrinsically bad. And all of these things are so fucked up and so wrong. Um, and I'm not saying like government is intrinsically good either. Like anything, 
you know, most things are kind of neutral. It's a tool and how you use that tool determines whether it's good or bad. Um, the court system can be a tool for justice or it can be something where Mitch McConnell you know, uses it to get a horrible person elected president and then installs hundreds of lifetime appointment, um, for want of a better word, activist judges to go in and willfully manipulate, you know, I, I don't want to call it justice, but to willfully manipulate the law to really fuck over the Constitution and just to impose yeah, I don't. I also don't want to use the word conservative, because it's, there's nothing conservative about these people. There's nothing conservative about the modern GOP, or you know, uh, to a lesser extent. But the the Tories in the UK call themselves the Conservatives. They're not really particularly conservative. Um, in fact, their their whole purpose. I, if I had to distill it down, all of these parties, more than anything seem to just be um, kind of grifters. You know, their whole purpose is not to conserve anything or even for the Democrats to kind of advance certain things. The parties themselves, by and large, seem there to get themselves reelected. And by this, I mean the party leadership, not the, not the rank and file. But to get themselves reelected and once in power, to stay in power, and then to manipulate the levers of government to kind of steer tax dollars um, into their pockets and the pockets of people who support them and, uh, you know, through some tertiary effect, will enrich them personally, either directly financially or just their, further their interests. And it's just, it, it's really fucked up. I mean, it's just, uh, and it's so unnecessary Again, you know, I'm not saying, and again, this gets, this gets back to, should you be an entrepreneur? I don't think most people should be. The, and again, like getting to my motivation for having taken the path that I've taken. Um, as, as an undergrad, grad student, I honestly, you know, it, absent the constraints of the world, I probably would have just stayed in school uh, indefinitely. And I don't mean that I wouldn't contribute to society, but I would, you know, I'd probably get a sequence of PhDs. I'd do research. I'd kind of uh, probably would end up being a professor and, uh, you know, have my own lab, my own kind of niche, my own little pocket of the world. Um, I wouldn't do that given, like, I, it's not something I regret not doing because I know in the current circumstance, in order to become like a tenured professor, you have to go through this process, which is just terrible. It's honestly just, um, yeah, it does not hold any appeal to me. You have to, there's nothing wrong with like publishing, publishing, doing research, publishing, publishing research, um, even going to conferences and talking to people, that kind of stuff, not intrinsically terrible. But again, just, and this gets to this disease that I'm kind of, uh, characterizing of the whole kind of frankly civilization at the moment um, people are there to further their interests and their interests are by and large financial 
people are there, and I, I don't mean to say that you know, like professors are just there to, to make more money, but they are there to do, you know, to crank out research publications, not so that they're advancing the state of the art as much as, which is not to say there aren't plenty of good professors, there are lots of them, but the institution is sick and it kind of pushes them to publish stuff that probably shouldn't be published, to do research, which you know, somehow is marketable. And then the worst part is like you get very salesy. There are a lot of problems with journalism and especially journalism um, as, it as it affects and interacts with science. But one of the problems, and part, part of it is like on the side of the journalists and journalistic malpractice and all of this kind of stuff, people don't understand science are covering science. But the other part of this is marketing fuckers who are like a professor or something or could even be, you know, professor's done some research. And that research might be actually interesting in and of itself, but you have this whole hype machine trying to turn something that's interesting but incremental research and not really generally you know it's like if you're in the field it's interesting it's good to have that as part of our general understanding probably not something that needs to be like screamed to the general public and then you get these marketers and again they can be the professors they could be somebody who's in the department pushing for it, somebody who's in the university administration, whatever. Uh, NASA has done this a few times and it's pissed me off beyond all reason. Uh, there, I, I haven't, in fairness, I haven't seen them do it recently, but there was this whole thing uh, probably over a decade ago where they're, they're hyping this thing up, like they're going to announce, we discovered, like literally, all of the stuff is like, we discovered life, uh, like extraterrestrial life. And I don't mean that they did, but I mean the hype was basically inferring that. They never actually came out and said it, but they kind of inferred it. And then you actually look at what they presented, and one time it's, um, okay, we found these sort of tubular structures in a meteorite that came from Mars. Uh, they kind of look, in fairness, they look a lot like bacteria, uh, but the problem is they're like, if you put them, like you look at the picture, it's like, oh shit, that's bacillus or something, you know, that's, that's E. coli kind of thing. If you put it next to E. coli though, they're these tiny, like E. coli is this giant thing. And these things are tiny, which is not to say that you couldn't have life that is much smaller than bacteria. Although to some extent, I don't think you can because, um, I, well, okay. If it was made out of nuclear matter and it's based on the strong and weak nuclear forces, then you could have a supercomputer inside of the nucleus of an atom. We're not talking about that. We're talking about stuff made out of atoms and molecules, uh, chemicals, this kind of stuff. There are certain kind of intrinsic limits to scale. Uh, just you need to pack, no matter what your coding system is, somehow you need to code genetic information and doesn't have to be DNA could be something completely different but just in terms of physical size there are very tight bounds on how much data how much information you can pack into a volume of space especially if it's encoded anything like um, like what we do and anything that would be plausible I would say
And then when you look at like the, the chemical reactions that have to take place in order to make something that is just just the absolute minimum of something that can sustain itself and reproduce, um, it kind of puts a pretty tight bound on the scale. Now, you can certainly have viruses that are much smaller and you can even have prions, which are like a single protein that is able to reproduce with the help of a whole mechanism that's much larger. These things, you know, so you look at it again, this is from uh, the Clinton era, the Martian meteorite. Uh, probably not, probably not life, I would say. Maybe it looks compelling. And then, you know, it, it, it's one of these problems also where you get people who are, like if somebody was a microbiologist and they would have looked at this, probably would have not said, you know, that look, I mean, you, certainly I think you'd go, First, hey, shit, that looks like E. coli. And then you look at the scale and you're like, whoa, that's, uh, it's gotta be some kind of non-biological thing. Or if it is biological in origin, it's probably not cells, it's probably something that's coming from them. But anyway, that aside, um, and I mean, this gets to, if you're hunting for something, if you, if you took x-ray um, holographic images or, uh, you know, say electron micrographs or something where you're looking at very tiny stuff all over the place and you look at enough of those pictures, you'll find stuff that looks like um, like whatever the fuck you're looking for, pretty much. You'll, you'll certainly, if you took enough electron micrographs, you'll find something that looks like John Hancock, um, like literally his signature. Just statistically, it's there uh, if you're looking at enough stuff. It's, it's a data dredging problem. So anyway, that aside, yeah. And then there was another one where NASA, um, this one actually cut close to home because it included some people at ASU, um, and including some that I'm particularly not a fan of, and partly due to this. Um, there, were, there was this thing where they're again talking about, oh, we have non-carbon-based life. And again, they, they would hint about it but not really say it, uh, but kind of infer. And then you find out, oh, well, we found out that there's an extremoph extremophile, like just a totally normal, well, normal in the sense that it lives in extreme conditions, terrestrial organism, which could live in, that one I think was in a very toxic for us environment. And instead of carbon, they were claiming uh, it was based on, uh, I don't even remember what it was, uh, but some other, I, I think it was arsenic or something, whatever the fuck it was, they're claiming, oh, it has, it's a, like a non-carbon based chemistry. And then you look at the reality of it and it was just, oh, this is an extremophile, which sometimes maybe could take up, uh, I'm, I'm vaguely remembering it was, uh, I think instead of phosphorus and its DNA, maybe it was arsenic. It was doing that sometimes if you put like shit tons of this stuff in there. And even then when you, you know, they, so they announce it, you know, they make this huge thing out of it, announce that it's nothing. And then you look at follow-up research and it's like, eh, they kind of did sloppy lab work or they kind of jumped the gun. So it wasn't even, they, they made it into this thing, announced a much smaller thing. And then in retrospect, when you look at it, not even what they announced was accurate. So fucking annoying. Just annoys the shit out of me. And again, you have this drive to just 
push things um, into this incredible, you know, thing. Which I guess it goes to like uh, my motivations for doing this are weird in the sense that I'm I'm kind of intrinsically motivated to do this. Um, I guess it's maybe it's like a journal. I don't know. Uh, it's definitely like I do have some people who listen, a few people who even who occasionally watch, but I'm mostly doing it for myself. Um, to be, I mean, it's, I'm not saying like it's a purely selfish thing, but it's kind of a selfish thing. It's not like, uh, and it's selfish in the sense that it's like this indulgence that I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm taking a few hours a week and putting this thing together, not trying to build an audience particularly. Uh, if that happened, I wouldn't like completely complain, although it's not my first choice. Uh, and, and if I, again, if I had, like if money is taken out of the equation, audience is taken out of the equation, I'd still probably be doing this. Um, and certainly I don't expect to ever have any kind of return on this. Uh, and this, this whole idea of like return on investment, and don't get me wrong, it is good that putting money into education pays off many, many fold. Uh, that's good. Putting money into basic research pays off extraordinarily in decades or even centuries. There are good reasons to do both of these things, even if they were just cost centers, even if they didn't actually pay off. And like, for me, doing this uh, has nothing to do with that. Uh, which it's not to say that there's anything wrong with. Like, I, I there are shows on YouTube that I fucking love. There are podcasts that I love. I love to listen to, and they have big audiences. And it's great that people do that. But this thing where everybody kind of feels like, um, I mean, part of it also is this whole thing. Everybody feels like, oh, I've got to be a fucking star. You know, I've got to be, and we have, I guess this goes to like a celebrity worship kind of thing, but um, kind of irritates the shit out of me. And I mean, part of it is when you start looking, I don't know, I, I've never really been somebody who had heroes per se. I've, I've had people that I kind of liked certain aspects of or admired certain achievements of, uh, certain parts of, but I've never really, like, I liked George Carlin. Uh, I, there are certain things that he did that I would love to learn from and emulate um, and hopefully supersede, but at the same time, it's not like I thought George Carlin was um, by any means a great guy or, you know, perfect. There are things about Michael Jordan that are, you know, watching him play basketball, fucking awesome. Off the court, probably not the best person, although not a terrible person either. I've always, I don't mean to like bolster myself up too much here, but I've always kind of looked at this stuff as like, you know, okay, they're people, they're multidimensional, and there's nothing, I'm, 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 I'm not trying to take something away from people who have had massive accomplishments, but there's nothing particularly, you know, if you want to take, uh, I, I love picking on him, so Jeff Bezos, or Elon Musk, there's nothing particularly about these two people that um, is so elevated above probably millions of other people are, like even if you assume, which I think is generous, but assume that they're extraordinarily intelligent, um, which I, again, I think it's, you know, or extraordinarily motivated or extraordinarily adept at whatever. And again, I don't think that's true um, which is not to say it's like all circumstance in a lottery, but you know, they had some part, but not all. 
But even if you assume that, there are still millions of people, many of whom are living in abject poverty, who are at least as smart or capable or motivated as Bezos. And the fact that he is where he is and some person living in a third world country is where they are has as much to do with chance and circumstance as the people. Yeah. Which is not to say, you like, obviously there are examples. If you look at, I mean, this is a survivorship bias thing. You can find somebody who was born in terrible circumstances and was able to kind of crawl their way up to a massive level of success. It happens. It exists. Uh, when, you, when you tease those apart, sometimes they're not as great of a pulling yourself up from your boot, bootstraps kind of thing as they sound. But there are a lot of people like Bezos who it's like, well, okay, his parents gave him a lot of money. Uh, and I'm not saying that that is like the whole thing. There are plenty of people whose parents give them a lot of money who don't amount to anything. But yeah, you start looking at the details and you're like, ah, this is, you have a little bit of a leg up. You go through a certain path. It gives you certain opportunities. Uh, you're born under certain circumstances. And again, I'm, I'm not even disparaging them so much. Although I do think when you look at it in that way, um, there was news, I think yesterday, Bezos basically made an extra, made, for some definition of made, his net worth increased by something like 20 billion or maybe it was just 12 billion, whatever it was, it was over $10 billion almost overnight. And you're like, that's not fucking right. You know, I mean, it's not, uh, there's nothing any person, I mean, when you look at how much a billion dollars is, I've talked about this before, uh, there's very little that you could do that's really worth a billion dollars. Um, if you convinced a billion people to give you one dollar, somehow that's kind of worth a billion dollars, I think, maybe. Uh, but by and large, probably not. Probably uh, most of the stuff that most people do when they're massively wealthy doesn't merit that. Now maybe, and, 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 you know, he has a nice company. Well, for some definitions of nice, he's done certain things that are good um, by, you know, I, it's a sad thing. When you look at the scale of billionaires, you get people like Mark Cuban, um, the fact that he said black lives matter um, and, you know, like a couple things like this, you look at him and you're like, oh, he's a, not a great guy, but on the scale of billionaires, you know, kind of stands out a little bit. You look at Bezos and you're like, well, shit, this guy has $200 billion in net worth now. Um, has broken many records in that regard. And again, you know, just like the amount of harm that comes. I, I don't even begrudge people from becoming billionaires, but I do begrudge people becoming billionaires in a society where they're doing it, um, not paying people enough not giving people adequate benefits. They're doing it by just taking, you know, countless, countless small businesses and essentially eliminating them and slurping up all of the profits that they would have had. They're taking the profits from countless small businesses. Um, you know, I mean, when you look at how many businesses would have existed um, or have been essentially eliminated by Amazon uh, or Walmart, kind of two sides of the same coin. Um, 
if you look at how many have been just destroyed by that, it's, it's, it's shocking. And the thing that's frustrating about it, and it's like, it, I mean, it's like Facebook. Zuck, I, I would, I, I used to kind of think he was neutral and stupid, um, highly, highly overrated, not that bright, um, but just kind of, you know, like bad because he didn't know any better. Now I think he's kind of evil. And I think, I, I think I was mistaken before and you know, I'm kind of seeing, I mean, you look at Peter Thiel was the first person to give him money. Um, I, I have to say, and again, this gets back to um, kind of sort of politics and path through life. Um, whether you're, you, you could be the best person in the world. If you're going to take money from Peter Thiel or someone like that, and especially if you're going to take money from them and potentially make them very wealthy, um, yeah, you have to think, and I'm, I'm very aware actually myself, I have an investor in one of my companies who is a Trump supporter. And I have very complicated feelings about that. It's like, um, yeah, it, on one hand, like, I don't think he's a bad guy in many ways. Um, yeah, I, I do think he's very badly misguided there, but yeah, it, it's like, I'm very motivated to make the company work, but at the same time, there's a thought in the back of my head that's sort of going like, shit, I make it work and we have a big exit for him. I'm giving a Trump supporter potentially a lot of money. Now, hopefully, maybe um, he has like a awakening and has a scale of enlightenment. I, I would like to think that. Uh, I would hope for that. Um, but I have very complicated feelings about it. I don't know that I would do it uh, today if, if I had the opportunity again. But on the other hand, I mean, it's complicated because part of the reason that I've been able to get to where I have and finally, yeah, I, I, again, not doing that great, but things are finally like, um, yeah, sort of slightly, slightly taking off a little bit, maybe ish. Part of the reason that I've been able to get there is because of this guy's investment and investments that came indirectly from him. And then you think about it and you're like, it, it, the thing that actually annoys the shit out of me about the current situation is like Trump is, um, I, I was going to say singularly evil, but he is so far fucking out there. And then you think about it and he's not that far beyond the, the pack of Republicans. If you actually look at where the Republicans stand, and I've talked about this before, but my friend AJ, who incidentally is running for uh, Arizona's state Senate. And if you're in his district, vote for AJ. Uh, but, or, or if, if listening to me and hearing me say that takes away from him, then completely ignore it. But if, if it helps, vote for AJ. But anyway, the fact that Trump is so bad uh, caught my attention, obviously, in 2015. 2016, but we were, AJ and I were sitting at Four Peaks talking, and he's watching, he was really, I, I was like reading news and what, like reading, maybe watching some like highlight reels of the Republican debates, I'm not really gonna do that to myself, like actually watch this shit, for the most part, uh, but he was watching it, and he's saying like, yeah, Trump is terrible, 
But if you look at these other guys, they're not that far behind. They're basically, in, in his words, I think it was like, yeah, they're here. And Trump is taking not even a full step, but like a half step past what they're saying. And he's doing it with a little bit less um, bullshit. And, you know, so Trump is awful. Again, I can't say that enough. But the alternatives were not that good. Um, and then Hillary, much better. Uh, you know, say what you will about her. I'm not a huge fan. Way the fuck better than Trump, I would say. Um, I, I do have people who would argue with me there. Um, I gotta say, I mean, like the harm that he's caused and it continues to cause, pretty significant. Now, the fact that she would have not, uh, and, and sadly, given like her path, I guess this actually comes through to my life path. When you look at the 90s, she kind of, she spearheaded basically um, this idea of not quite universal healthcare, but you know, massive healthcare reform. And when you look at where she was then and what she got for doing that, what she got for being a woman who was getting up in front of Congress and, uh, you know, was basically like a first lady who wasn't just sitting there like, not to take anything away from first ladies who are very heavily into fashion and style and such, but she was doing something pretty remarkable. Again, whatever you feel about her, I think that's fair. And then what she seemed to take from that experience was basically, well, fuck this. I'm just going to be completely cynical. And I mean, and I don't, I don't think that's unfair or inaccurate. I think like if you look at her path from there, you know, there's a lot of questionable shit. And I mean, I don't know, like you look at Obama. I like a lot of things about Obama. Listening to Obama speak and then listening to Trump speak, I mean, it's, I, I, find, I find it physically painful to hear Trump speak uh, because it's so stupid and so ignorant and just, and then I, I know there are people who are Trump supporters and they're like, well, you're calling me stupid and ignorant. You know, first off, if you talk the way Trump does, there's probably something wrong with you. Second, if you are stupid and ignorant, me saying that or not, doesn't really impact you. It's just like, do you want me to lie to you? And third, and I think this is important, I don't think you're probably stupid. I think you're probably very ignorant and not well-educated. Trump, I think, is legitimately like stupid in a lot of ways, mainly because of intellectual laziness, but also probably a little slow. And he's very adept, though, at certain bits of marketing, which heavily rely on being a really good liar. And when I say actually really good liar, he's not a great liar. You know, his, the lies that he tells are transparent, but he, you know, I, I mean, he will die on, you know, he'll say something that's just utter bullshit, not even a drop of reality or truth to it. And he'll just keep hammering that and hammering it and hammering it. And then soon enough, people start believing him because he's like, I think they're actually thinking, uh, or at least this is my interpretation of this. People are seeing that and they're like, well, it, it sounds like bullshit, but it's got to be true because he keeps repeating it. Yeah. And I mean, like, literally, like if it, if it wasn't true, why would he keep repeating it? He, nobody could be this bad of a liar. And you know, he's just, so it's got, I, I really think these are thoughts people have. 
And then there are also the people who kind of forgive him because they're like, well, you know, Hillary's so, and this is their voice, not mine, but in their words, Hillary's so terrible that, you know, and she pretends, but he's just like coming out and saying it as it is. Yeah, it's some bullshit here. But again, like, if you are not well-educated, that is not a condemnation of you. There's nothing inherently bad about not being educated, but there is something inherently bad about not trying to advance yourself, about staying uneducated. Ignorance is the natural state. That is our initial state. All of us are essentially born ignorant. Um, and I'm not saying that most of the people who are less ignorant do so necessarily out of their own volition, although people, many people are curious and that kind of you know, takes you from A to B to C. But the thing that, you know, it, staying ignorant is a problem. And I think a lot of people stay ignorant because they're too either ashamed or embarrassed or they've had, um, I don't know, maybe their parents got tired of them asking questions and said, you know, like, stop asking fucking questions or their parents, part of, part of being tired of them answering, asking questions, part of it's probably that it's annoying because kids are amazing in their ability to uh, not get tired of something. It's, it's really extraordinary. I, when I was, I must've been in middle school. Um, my cousin had a kid, I guess he's my nephew. And he came to, uh, it was either Thanksgiving or Christmas, I don't know, at uh, my grandparents' uh, place. Um, and he's there and, you know, just kind of like doing the thing, like you wave at the kid and he waves back. It was whatever age that, uh, you know, not really verbal, but just kind of like interactive. And at some point, it's somehow I just found that I would go um, like shake my head, make my lips flap. And this just blew his mind. And I've, I've noticed the same thing happen with other kids. Did that, and then he's like, whoa. And then he starts shaking his head to try to get me to do it again. I do it again. And you, you go back and forth and it's fun the first couple of times. And then you realize, oh shit, this kid will let you, or will not even let you, he will insist that you keep doing that for fucking ever. You know, not forever exactly, but you know, just a long time, much, much longer then you'll find it boring and annoying. Uh, and, and so kids do ask a lot of questions and they'll keep asking questions beyond the point where you're annoyed with them. But I think a lot of people also, you know, the kid asks a question, the parent doesn't know the answer. And there are two paths. One is, and this is, I think the correct one, and I'm not saying everybody does this all the time. Uh, and if you, if you hear yourself in this, maybe take a second and reconsider is all I'm saying. But, you know, why is the sky blue? Question lots of people have. Probably almost a universal question. Now, if you know, then you can tell. Or, and, and you can hopefully sort of, I don't want to say dumb it down, but put it at the right level, understand where they are, and then explain, you know, light scattering or something like this. You're probably not going to do, you know, like a whole thing on quantum optics or something, but you can get to sort of their level and, you know, talk about it. If you don't know, one path is to say, I don't know, let's find out. And I think that is the correct path. Now it's a lot of work, but if you don't know something, if, if somebody asks a question 
I don't know, and then figure it out and then tell them or figure it out together and model the process of learning. That is awesome. That is what you should be doing. Like to me, that is kind of the highest ideal. As, and not that I'm, I'm not a parent, quite likely will never be. Um, mixed feelings on that incidentally. But coming back, I think if, if you're a parent, doing that is sort of where you should be. And now if you don't know, and then you just tell the kid to shut up or you know, like this is a thing that I think a lot of people do because they're embarrassed that they don't know. And instead of saying, I don't know, let's find out. They're like, ah, stop asking questions, kid. Uh, which is something that I've, I was very fortunate. I don't think my parents, uh, like if they ever said anything like that, it was only out of, uh, it was extremely rare. And it was like, I must've been repeating a question an insane number of times or something, but I don't even remember that to be honest. So I think I was very lucky. And my parents also both had graduate degrees. Uh, my dad had an engineering degree, so he had a decent understanding of a lot of things. And I remember when I was a kid, um, you know, we would, he worked in uh, the steel industry and we would, you know, we'd be on these long drives and my sister was going in fucking sane, by the way. But we're talking about, you know, he's, he's explaining how a basic oxygen furnace works and what Coke is and how they make it and all of this stuff. And I was just, you know, like fast and just eating it up. And she's in the, she's in the car like, oh my fucking God. I like, I, I didn't appreciate this at the time. Like I just kind of forgot that she was there, but she was not asking any questions then. And I don't think she had the slightest bit of interest in this shit. Probably got annoying for her, but uh, I, I, I felt very fortunate to, to have that. And I think I, I was. One of the things also, I mean, like there are so many reasons why coming from, uh, I mean, you think about privilege Privilege is, like, almost all of privilege is something that if you don't look for it, you don't see it. And I think, I think this is the, this is part of the reason why people, you know, don't, oh, I'm not privileged. You know, I'm just, I'm a poor person. I'm, I'm working hard, you know, not privileged. You don't see it because you don't have a frame of reference. Uh, you don't see, if you're a guy, you don't see the shit, the unbelievable shit that women take. Um, because you just don't, and it, it, part of it is just that it's easy to ignore. Part of it is like, if you see like a glimpse of it, you'll see it. And then you're kind of like, yeah, and then you just forget about it because you can, because you're in a position where you can. And part of it is also just that it's like, I, I always come back to this, but it's like atmosphere. I am aware that there's air. If I move my arms like this, I can feel the currents flowing, but if you don't know that, it, I mean, it took people a very long time, shockingly long time to realize that there was atmosphere, that there was something here, not nothing. And that's kind of, again, the intrinsic natural state. I think knowing that there's atmosphere is a sort of uh, a minor little leap of enlightenment, not a massive thing, but it's a little step, right? If you, experience privilege your whole life, you don't feel it. You don't, you know, oh, my parents, sure, my parents gave me 250K to do this. And this is me speaking as Jeff Bezos, but that's not privilege. I'm, you know, I'm just some random guy that pulled myself up from my bootstraps and, you know, got myself a big uh, company and have 
hundreds of billions of dollars now and you know i totally made it myself yeah you don't know it like i i think sincerely he probably has no fucking clue because you have to work to see it uh, and even if you work to see it and this is part of the scary thing i'm aware at this moment that atmosphere is here five minutes from now if i'm not thinking about it i can forget about it because it doesn't really bother me it doesn't affect me if you are someone who doesn't have it much more aware oh shit the air is so thin and if you're born with that you don't even know that that's an unusual state or that it's wrong you just know like it's really hard to fucking breathe and gee it seems like those guys are not having so much trouble breathing it's weird isn't it um you know so that's a thing if you if you look also and i mean i did I guess I'm going to have to wrap up in a minute, but uh, one of the things that really gets me about, again, again, privilege is just like one of the little things. My parents both had graduate degrees. Um, it wasn't like they ever said to me, you know, you have to go to school. You have to keep, you have to go to undergrad, you know, like finger wag or that kind of stuff. They never said anything like that. Um, if I didn't choose to do it, probably would have been fine with them, I think. They would have thought it was weird and not great, but wouldn't have been that big of a deal. But nonetheless, because they did it and we talked about like their path through life, I just always assumed that's kind of what you do. You know, like to me, and this is one of my big points of privilege is just to me, okay, you go to high school, you go to undergrad, you probably go to grad school, not necessary, but you probably want to. And then you go off and you do something. Um, that was just how things go. And you know, if somebody's coming from a family where they've never had anyone even go to college, the leap that it takes, to, people do it for sure. And you see this, the successes, you miss a lot of the people that don't do it because there's a survivorship bias. But the, the things that it takes for somebody coming without that to figure out, oh shit, this is something that you can do. Just knowing that it's an option for so many people is a massive revelation, that, or they never know it. And then trying to figure out like how to navigate it, how to do it, and then actually doing it. These are all major leaps, which for me, were just like walking down a path. Um, I, I literally, if I wasn't reflecting on it, that's just what you do. That's just how it goes. Um, so, yeah, this is one reason why, um, yeah, I'm not to give her too much. My ex-wife, I think she was the first generation in her family to even have an undergrad degree. Um, I got a PhD. Yeah. And my parents had uh, like uh, Juris Doctorate and Master's uh, degrees, but not a PhD. But that wasn't it was, you know, like for her, that's a massive step. For me, that was like a little incremental step. In fact, it was almost, you know, I wouldn't even say it was a step. It was like, it, at a certain point when you're younger, the difference between master's and PhD, and if, if you've never gone through, don't know what the difference is, doesn't seem like that much difference. And then if you kind of go on a path and you get there, you sort of figure it out, you can either just keep plowing forward and you get the PhD or not, but it's very easy once you're on the path um, to get there. And I, I don't mean to say that it's easy, but it's easy relative to not being on the path 
to getting on the path. Um, this is a thing, this will be the last thing that I say, but I definitely notice in life, there are lots of, you know, most of life I feel like is kind of a free trajectory. You're, you're kind of following the natural path. And then there are moments, shockingly few, moments which are real inflection points. These are points where you make a decision. Maybe other people don't have this experience, but for me, most of the time you're kind of flying almost on autopilot, but then you come to a point where you decide something and then you inflect your trajectory. And those points make massive amounts of difference. Things you do most of the time, yeah, you know, eh, they're almost not that significant. Not to say that you don't have to do them. I mean, there's lots of stuff that you do that's hard work that is that trajectory. But most of that stuff is not really changing the course of your life. And then there are those moments, again, and they very, um, certainly in retrospect, they seem like singular points. In, in reality, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're not quite so singular. There's a little bit of a time window to them, uh, beginning, middle, and end. Uh, and sometimes they'll last weeks or months or even in extreme cases like years. But there are things that take uh, very little time compared to the bulk where you're just sort of sailing. And I think, I think one thing that, uh, I don't know, I guess this is what I'm, the actual point that I'm going to end on, which is if you are aware of that and if you think about where I am, and uh, definitely, I'm not suggesting you make rash decisions, but you think about where you are. I was at ASU. I was in a job that paid pretty well. I didn't have to worry about making money, um, per se. It wasn't as nice as it could have been, but I had healthcare. I had uh, a nice job. I had some, uh, you know, could have just coasted on that, and that could have been my whole career. Um, I decided not to and I veered off into a completely different trajectory, much harder path, probably not one that I would recommend to most people, unless you're like me and you just were miserable under the other path. And miserable, I mean, there are various levels of misery. You might be miserable, but are you sufficiently miserable in this circumstance to completely change things and really struggle for a while? Um, yeah, and then even, even there, there are things that I could have done to make my alternate path much easier, and I didn't for various reasons. Um, yeah, and I, I have mixed feelings about that, but I am where I am, and I'm the person that made those decisions. Um, yeah, and also, like, if I... Removing the constraints of money and such, um, I would probably make the same de decisions. Again, the only reason I have even complex feelings about it is just that, you know, like things have been harder than they could have been. And you kind of go like, uh, if I would have done this or this, uh, it could have been easier, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do. And in the end, uh, and again, this is like the, uh, like the pandemic in the end, things that seem interminable and seem really horrible, you kind of look back on them and they don't seem like that big of a deal. Um, Five years from now, again, I mentioned this before, the layers of sediment. The pandemic is not going to seem like, you'll remember it for sure, but it's not going to seem like a terminable, horrible thing that it does today. With that, 
thank you for um, listening or watching and uh, Zai Jen.